If you're using one of the Bibles that we have in the pews, you can find that on page 524. It's a glorious psalm. It's a psalm of David. It's a psalm of praise. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give you thanks, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Our service today, we will um, have the joy of setting apart together uh, Chad McFadden as one of our elders. And so after we pray at the end, we will do that together, which is a very exciting time um, for us and for Chad, and we praise the Lord for him. There are different kinds of days in life. Days of celebrating, days of mourning, days when the doctor says all is well, days when there's something wrong, days you get the job, and days you lose the job. Days that go pretty much as expected, and days when you could have never predicted what happened. Days when you feel on top of the world. And days when it feels the weight of the world is on top of you. Days when you feel like you're crushing it at work. And days when it feels like work is crushing you. 
days you face with great zeal, and days you want to run and hide. Days surrounded by family and friends and the sounds of laughter and stories, and days surrounded by nothing but the four walls of your home and silence. There are different kinds of days in life. The question is, how do you prepare for these different kinds of days? What kind of mindset do you have to have in order to enter each one well? I mean, to most it might seem that you need a different mindset for each one, depending on the day, but but what if I told you that there was a mindset that transcends every kind of day that we will encounter? A mindset that equips us for our best days and our worst days, that amplifies our days of joy and steadies our days of sorrow, that sets everything in its proper perspective. Wouldn't you want that mindset? Don't you want that mindset? Well, we find it in Psalm 145. It's the last psalm attributed to David. It's the last of what are called the acrostic psalms, meaning that uh, the first verse begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as you work your way through the psalm, you work your way through the alphabet. Uh, the only hiccup is there in verse 13. If you were, uh, if you were uh, keen on it, you, saw, you see in the ESV that there are brackets around it, meaning that there are Hebrew, Hebrew manuscripts that lead some scholars to believe uh, it belongs there and others to believe it doesn't. Um, it is not our goal to settle such a dispute. Uh, it is, but I will say that with or without that, I believe it actually belongs, but with or without it, um, the message of the psalm does not change. The mindset that we need going into every day of life doesn't change. Namely, that God is worthy of worship every day. That's, what, that's it. God is worthy of worship every day. And so that's what I'm hoping that we'll see as we walk through this psalm. Uh, certainly a psalm this long, I can't take as much time as you could on every single one of these verses. But I hope that we all walk away convinced that every day is a day when God deserves, is worthy of worship. So I want us to begin by thinking about worship every day, okay? Worship, not worship the day, but worship on every day, everyday kind of worship. Worship is our response to God, to who He is and to what He has done. We worship in and through music, responding to God by singing His praise. We worship in prayer, recognizing that God is the source of blessing and of help in life. We worship in preaching and in listening, recognizing God as our source of truth. We worship in giving financially, recognizing God as the source of all that we have. We worship through our obedience, what Paul calls a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship, And when we worship through obedience or obeying the Lord, we're recognizing God as sovereign Lord. We worship 
in all of life in response to who God is and what God has done. Now, worship takes on certain, uh, a certain form here in Psalm 145, so I only want to focus in on what this psalm says about the way in which worship happens every day. The first is through meditation. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. It is the response to God essentially saying, Lord, not only are you worthy of my mind's time, but you are beyond just a simple comprehension fact just off the top, that I could meditate on you. Because the word meditate essentially means to rehearse something over and over again. It means to turn it over and over in your mind. Talking to yourself, if you, as, as it were. There are many Sunday mornings, in a, on an early Sunday morning, that I am meditating on what it is that I am going to say this morning. I'm talking to myself. If you just saw a, uh, you know, a soundless video of what it is that I'm doing, you would think the, the, the man's crazy. He's talking to himself. I'm not even talking in a mirror. I'm just talking to the computer screen in front of me. It, fortunately, it's not talking back just yet. Uh, however, meditation is the turning over of truth in our minds over and over again. It's that private, personal worship of God. It is setting our minds on things above. It is seeking to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. It is thinking on Him who is true and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. The goal being, you ever had just a rock-hard sponge? Just rock-hard, right? And there's a little puddle on the, on the counter, and you put on one side, and a little soaks in, you turn it over, and you turn it over until all of a sudden you've soaked up all this puddle of water with what was this rock-hard sponge. And essentially, that's what the goal of meditation is, is to soak up the truth by turning it over and over and over in your mind to where as this day happens, what squeezes out of me are the right thoughts of God and the right responses to life, that the sponge of my mind and my heart are so soaked up in meditating on the Lord. It was said of uh, John Bunyan uh, that, that he, not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, it was said of John Bunyan that he met, that he that he, he, the scripture so filled his heart that when you pricked him he would bleed the Bible. That's where meditation is meant to take us. Where when life pricks at us, right thoughts of God and who He is come out. That's why the song, That's why David says, "On your wondrous." deeds and on the splendor of your majesty, I will meditate. Not just meditation, but also exaltation, meaning the, the, the singing, the, the vocalization, if you will. Look, the verses 1 and 2, I will extol you, bless your name. Every day I will bless you. That means to speak words of excellence about God. Praise your name is a word for boasting. I will boast in the Lord. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. I mean, it's just gushing out by now. He says, I will sing aloud of your righteousness. Which actually means he will sing with joy. Not just a loud, grumpy voice, you see. 
joyful voice. That's what the joyful noise is. It's not joy without the ability to carry a tune in a bucket. It is just the joy of loud praise to God. That's what the noise means in the psalm. Although some of us are still looking for the bucket in which we can carry the tune. And that's all right. But it is exaltation. It's the kind of thing that we're used to in the Psalms, right? Always singing, always vocalizing, always rejoicing, always shouting, always crying out. It's what we've done here together. Meditation and exaltation, but there's also education. Verse 4 it's very subtle. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It is this concern. I mean, the, in the Old Testament, there is a deep and abiding concern that the next generation learn the ways of faith. This is why you are to teach your children when you're standing by the way and when you're walking and whether you're standing or whether you're lying down at bed or whether you're over breakfast or wherever it is, you're always teaching. That's why when they would walk by the Jordan and they would see this pile of rocks, they say, this is, and, and, your, and your son says, Daddy, what's that about? Well, let me tell you, son, those rocks didn't get on top of themselves. Let me tell you how that happened. It's this deep and abiding concern that the next generation takes up the worship of God, the right ordering of the worship of God and carries it on. And it actually doesn't matter whether you have children or not. He doesn't say one generation who happens to have open wombs and have born children, they're the ones concerned to pass on the faith to the next generation. No, 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 no. The whole community, the whole generation is concerned with passing on the faith to the next generation. I am not only, though I am primarily concerned as a father with my own children, but I am not only concerned that my children know the faith that my children are raised up, that my children learn who God is and what He has done for us in Christ and the right way to respond to Him. And this education, But this education does happen in our homes and it happens in our churches and it happens as we sing and it happens through instruction and it happens through the example of the older generation. Dear friend, you may think that your time of teaching the next generation is long gone, but it is not because you're teaching them right now where you're sitting, how you're engaged right now is teaching. You see, ideas may be taught by instruction. The ideas of faith may be taught by instruction, but the importance of faith is caught by example. It's striking. Earlier this week, one of my children said to me something that I once said, or probably more than once said, uh, as I would discipline that child as, you know, it, 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 when they were younger. They recounted to me my own words, words I had long forgotten. But words I, once, once it was said, I remembered, oh yes, I would have said that. It was a striking reminder, reminder that what I may forget as long and gone, my children do not. The education of our children is the worship of God. I mean, we worship God. We respond to who God is 
and, and what He's done for us by ensuring that the next generation knows how to respond to who God is and what He's done. That God is worthy of our education of our children. God is worthy of us passing on the faith. And then finally, through proclamation. So look at verse 6. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And then verse 10 to 12. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Why? To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. John Piper once noted that missions exists because worship doesn't. It glorifies God when we publicly proclaim His worth in our songs and in our preaching. When we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that is an act of worship. It is an act of worship for John and Pam to be in Chile seeking to further the kingdom of God. And it is an act of worship when we not only take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but when we take the gospel to the ends of the street. Because God is worthy of the person who does not yet know Him to actually worship Him. In John 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well, God is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we worship the Lord, we exalt the Lord, we lift up the Lord when we lift Him up to others in conversation to them. All these things, responses to who God is and to what God does. Meditation and exaltation and education and proclamation. And I'm not that good at rhyming. I mean, that just, that just happened. There's not a fifth one. I didn't come up with a fifth Asian. So congratulations. But I want to pause and ask, how is your worship life? How is your daily worship? What did you meditate on this week? What filled your mind more than anything else? Just a few moments ago, was your singing sincere? Was your giving joyful? Is your listening engaged? This week, were we both intentional and mindful about passing on the faith to the next generation? Did you exalt the Lord by sharing the gospel with someone this week? These are good questions to keep us focused on what it means to worship every day. Mindful of who God is and what He has done in every arena of life. And David said all of this is for every day. That's what he says in verse 2. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Every there literally is all. So all days. You could... You could do a whole study on all the alls in Psalm 145. All flesh does this, 
all your works do that. You're kind to all, 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 all. And he launches in by saying, all of the days of my life, I will bless your name and praise you forever and ever. If it's the day of great victory or the day of great tragedy, I will bless you. Whether it is the day of fullness or the day of emptiness, I will bless you. Whether it is the day you gave or the day you took away, I will bless you. Now, dear Christian, it is at this point that we must be very careful that as David is speaking into one ear, as David is speaking into our ear through Psalm 145, the devil would whisper into our ears as well. The devil would whisper that God is worthy of worship on some days more than others. The devil would whisper in our ears that the circumstances of our lives determine whether God is worthy of worship and not the character of God himself. The devil would actually whisper in our ear that, it, that how we feel determines how, whether we worship and not who God is. The devil would whisper, you ought to be meditating on your problems and how you're going to solve it rather than on the Lord. The devil would whisper in our ears that we need not, look, don't, don't, don't bother yourself with the gathering of God's people and praising him and all that until your life is in order. I mean, this problem is huge. You need to, you really need to settle things out in your own life. You need to get it together and then, and then maybe you can re-engage in exalting the Lord. The devil would love to whisper that to us. The devil would love for you to think that enrolling your child in Gray Road Christian School and and making sure they're at Sunday school and at, and at Wednesday night and in the service with you and, uh, or making sure that you, you know, that you just keep them away from as many bad things as you can. That, that, that this, is, this is the end for which parenting works, but this is not the fullness of education. The devil would love to whisper you that, to you that there's some technique that you can adopt that will guarantee a particular outcome with the next generation, but there is not. The devil would love to whisper in your ear that that friend's just not been very receptive to religious things, so why even bother? You don't know the answer to all their questions anyway. Oh, the devil would have a field day with us here, wouldn't he? But worship is for every day. One more thing about this worship every day. It's interesting that you, you, go through, you go through the Psalms, and there are lots of places where we're commanded to worship, right? So you go to Psalm 146. Just look down at your Bible. Read the first three words of Psalm 146. One, two, three, go. All right, Psalm 147. All right, Psalm 148. Now, without looking, can you guess what Psalm 149 says? And what about Psalm 150? And how do you think the whole Psalter ends at the end of Psalm 150? Yes. You know what Psalm 145 says? I will. You see, Psalm 145 is not so much David worshiping in response to a command, so much as it is the commitment that he has made to worship the Lord every day. Notice all the I wills and they wills. 
Verse 2, I will bless you, praise your name. Verse uh, uh, 1, I will extol you and bless your name. Verse 7, they shall pour forth, they shall sing aloud. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks, all your saints shall bless you. Verse 11, they shall speak of your glory, they shall tell of your power. Verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. The idea is that this worship for every day is not forced upon David, it's drawn out of him. Nobody's just laid on him saying, do this, do that, even though it is a command to do this, do that. But here in Psalm 145, we see that the secret to a sustained life of worship is not that I know what commands to obey, it's that something is drawn out of me. And what is it that is drawing out this commitment to everyday worship? Well, it's this, God is worthy of worship every day. That's what he sees, and that's what he says. And that's the second point. God is worthy of worship every day. His worth can be summed up in two phrases. God is great and God is good. That's how most of us learned how to pray, isn't it? At the dinner table, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. When we got a little older, we realized that we should be using the name of Jesus, so we added the phrase, in Jesus' name. Amen. But that's essentially what Psalm 145 says. God is great. God is good. It says God is great. Look at verses 1 to 3. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His Greatness is unsearchable. King David bows and says, God, you are the great king. You see, the greatness of human kings was seen in their armies and in their lands and in their treasuries and in their palaces and in their influence. But, but David says it's actually impossible to perceive the greatness of God with our finite minds. He says his greatness is unsearchable. Look, trying to perceive the greatness of God with our finite minds is, is like trying to perceive the glory of the ocean by looking at it from the top. Right? You're sitting on a boat, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you can't see any land anywhere. It's awe-inspiring, it is beautiful, it is wondrous, it is overwhelming in the sense of awe, but all you can see is the surface. There are depths of the wonder and the beauty and the awe that we simply cannot fathom. And that's what David says about God's greatness. It's unfathomable. It's unsearchable. Verses 4 and 5. His works are great. One generation commends your works, declares your mighty acts, your wondrous works. These defy human imagination and human limitation. God breathes into a pile of dirt and makes a human being. God takes the rib from that man and makes woman. These mind-boggling plagues 
parting seas and rivers and standing up water on its end so that the ground is dry, providing bread from heaven and water from a rock and stopping the sun in its course so that a battle can be won. I mean, these, these are not, you can read these things so often that they shrink in how amazing they are. Just go out that door and start looking at that rock and wait for it to produce water. If that doesn't work, bang on it. Squeeze it. Do something. It just doesn't happen. God is great. And this great king rules over a great kingdom. Verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. He reigns over all things at all times. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. When Daniel is interpreting uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream, when he's, inter- when he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, God is going to punish you, God is going to make you go crazy, this is the reason why he says it's going to happen. Daniel 4:17. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Sets over it the lowliest of men. God's in charge. God's kingdom rules. I think it was just last Saturday, Susan and I were sitting on the patio can't remember if it was morning or if it was evening but Susan spies an ant and a larger bug having an altercation on one of the stones of our patio and the larger bug picks up the ant now uh, my wife's face is precious when she is surprised by things so you should watch But anyway, she has the surprise face on, and I'm watching, and she says, she's giving me the play-by-play commentary. The larger bug has picked up the ant and is carrying it away as plunder. Well, in the midst of carrying him away, the ant wrestles free, slaps the larger bug around, picks up the larger bug, and begins carrying him in the other direction. It's amazing. And all I can think is, all it would take is one nonchalant step to crush both of them. And so it is with God, dear friends. The leaders of this world maneuver for power positions in countries and in in companies, and they build their influence and they expand their kingdom, and yet we are just ants and slightly larger bugs. And if he were to be pleased to do so, God would do what he says in Isaiah he can do. God blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. And this great king will not suffer defeat at the hands of his enemies. That's what verse 20 says. The wicked he will destroy. The wicked, 
he will destroy. Opposing God is the core of wickedness. That sin that we just explain away and say, that's no big deal, that's just a small sin. It, at its core, is wickedness. God is great and greatly to be praised. And He does great things that we can't fathom. And He rules a great kingdom that will, in the end, be the only one left standing all the glory of all the other nations will just be added up to His and absorbed by Him, and the only glory left is His. And all of those who have opposed Him will be destroyed. God is great. We need to get that through our minds, don't we? It needs to be in there. Is there anything too hard for Him? Is there any? person beyond his arm, so they're so far off that his arm is shortened that he cannot save them? No. God is great. And God is good. You see, it would be, it would be a terrifying thing to have a great God without him being a good God. And if he were only a good God, he would be impotent to do the great things that his goodness would long for him to do. But he is great, and he is good. Verse 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is slow to anger. Have you just ever just pondered that? How good that is? that he is slow to anger. Right now, he could give us what we justly deserve, but he is slow to do it. He is patient. I mean, think of this. For the one who does not believe in Jesus Christ, who is, as John 3 says, already under the wrath of God, God is patient. God is not eager for the bowl of his wrath to drown that soul in hell. He is slow to anger. God is good even now to many who pay Him no attention whatsoever. They will not submit. They will not bow to Him. They will not believe. They will not surrender. And yet He is good. He is slow to anger. Why? Well, Paul says in Romans 2 that the kindness of God is meant to lead to repentance. To the one who does not believe in Jesus, God's kindness, His goodness toward them is not licensed to think that all is well. It is a call to repent and come to this good God. And He's abounding in steadfast love. That word abounding is actually the same word as up in verse 3, great. He is great and He is great in steadfast love. His goodness is great. His covenant love, His covenant faithfulness, God is good. Verse 13, the Lord is faithful in His words and kind in His works, which is basically echoed again in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is faithful. 
He can be trusted. He's righteous. He's always, he always does what is right. He's kind. That kind, that word kind means that he is loving. And as you read here, you see that he is loving toward all of his creation in verse 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire. Look, if you ate breakfast this morning, it's because God opened his hand and gave you food whether you ever recognize him or not. How loving of God to feed those who will forsake Him all their lives. To send the rain on both the just and the unjust. And the Lord is good and loving to His people. He upholds those who are falling. He raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Those who call on the Lord in truth and who fear Him and who love Him, those in our language who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are upheld when they stumble and they're heard by God and they're saved by God and they're preserved by God. He is so good. He is so good. God is great. And God is good. And it's rhythmic here. I just together, but it's rhythmic in this psalm. Verses 1 to 5. God is great. Verses 8 and 9, God is good. 10 to 13, God is great. 13 to 20, God is good. It's like the two feet of faith walking through every day of life. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. And it's this is the steady pace of the one who has the mindset to face every day that God gives us. God is great. God is good. Great good, great, good. You see, on our best days, the greatness and goodness of God keeps us humble, reminding us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That anything I'm seeing happen and move and accomplish and all those things, just this microphone right here, please. All of those things, they're not because I deserve them. They're not, they're not because I earn them. They're not because somehow I've I have leverage with God now. It's because He is great. And the greatness and goodness of God on my worst days keeps me hopeful. Reminding me that nothing enters my world apart from His power and His good purposes. No matter how our days may vary, God does not. He is great and He is good, so He is worthy of worship every day, meditation, exaltation, education, proclamation. And when we waver in remembering that, when some day seems to be overwhelming that, we can go to Psalm 145 and be reminded. Or better yet, we can remember Jesus who is the great and good God in the flesh. 
whose greatness is expressed in his power over nature and death and demons and disease, whose goodness is seen in him willingly giving up his life as a ransom for many, offering himself as our perfect sacrifice, forgiving sinners, receiving outcasts, feeding the 5,000, having compassion on those who are harassed and helpless. And Jesus' goodness and his greatness are most supremely seen in his death and resurrection, isn't it? In his death, he forgives sinners, offering himself. That is his goodness to us. His greatness in triumphing over the grave, over sin and death and hell. He rose in victory. He is the great and the good God. And for all who do not know him, for all who only see God as some distant being, some being to be investigated, God has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has brought his greatness with him, and he has brought his, his goodness with him. And he has come to powerfully and greatly and goodly rescue us from sin and death and hell. All who will turn to him in faith will know the greatness and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. If you would turn to him, you would know it. And when that gospel gets a hold of our soul, when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts, we have new eyes and we have the capacity to see every day differently. We have the capacity to go into each new day with that mindset. I belong to a good and great God. And he graciously has said that he belongs to me. This great God rules over every second of my day. He rules over every square inch I will travel. He rules over every human being I will come into contact with. He has ordained everything I will experience. Nothing is going to happen outside the great power of God today. And this great God holds me in his hand and nothing can pluck me out. And this God is good. He will sustain me as I suffer today. He will forgive me when I fail today. He steadies me when I stumble. He strengthens me when I'm weak. His mercies are new. His grace is sufficient. His faithfulness is great. His word is true. His ways are righteous. His anger is slow. His steadfast love is abounding. God is great. God is good. And I will worship Him today. Amen. That is the mindset for every day of your life. It doesn't matter what you woke up to this morning. This is the mindset. It doesn't matter what awaits you tomorrow. This is the mindset. It doesn't matter whether you expected it or not, whether you're celebrating or whether you're mourning, whether you get the job or whether you lose the job. This is the mindset that will carry you through by faith. You will worship God. Not begrudgingly because he commanded it. 
but joyfully because you're compelled, convinced that God is worthy of worship every day. A moment of silence, and then we will pray.